Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert. They're off and running again. So smooth. So sweet. Splendid. Succinct. Just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff. Joining me in just a moment to go over all the Boxing Day fixtures coming our way December 26th and it's a couple to 27th, one the 28th, are my co hosts, my colleagues, my brothers in betting, BJ Cunningham, Anthony DeBundo. We're fresh after what, 48 hours from the World Cup final? I was just in England at the World Darts Championship. But we're back, baby. And I would be remiss not to mention that the last time we had a Premier League episode, our underdog parlay, a 201-to-1 underdog parlay hit. So hopefully we can keep that momentum going as we head towards uh, the new year. Uh, but before I bring in Anthony and BJ, a reminder that this episode of Wonder Goal and every episode of Wonder Goal are brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game. Get $200 free. And a little note, a little special uh, treat for the listeners. We actually had a conversation with Eric Winalda that you can listen to at the very end of this podcast, where we kind of finally put a bow on the U S men's national team in the world cup. We talked a little Gio Reyna, some Greg Berhalter, Messi to enter Miami. And of course some Bochum. Uh, but before we get to that, we got to talk about boxing day. We got to talk about the first match on boxing day, 7 30 AM, Anthony, your Brentford Bees plus 300 hosting your Tottenham Hotspurs minus 110. The draw here is plus 240. Are we going to see an upset to start the festive, the festive season? There was a time in the middle of the World Cup where I didn't want to think about international soccer anymore. So I pulled <laughs> up the Boxing Day calendar and I just wanted to feel something. And so I think I, I, think I know exactly when that was. Yeah, what day was that? Was that what Japan? Because I think I know what day it was too. <laughs> I believe it, it was somewhere. Uh, it might have. I think it might have been right before. It's probably the Uruguay day. I bet against. No, nah, it, it was somewhere after that. But at some point, I don't remember when. I could actually go look and when I actually bet it. But uh, I decided that I wanted to look at the calendar on Boxing Day, and immediately I was like, "Oh, that's right. Tottenham goes to Brentford on Boxing Day." Tottenham uh, top six in the world of all the club teams in uh, players minutes played at the world cup guys like Sonny Kane, Lloris, Romero, Charleston, 
best right. player in the world. Richarlison, best player in the world at the World Cup. Yeah. So there was a lot of um, Benton Kerr getting hurt after playing well and, and missing big chances for Uruguay. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you compare that to Brentford, who had pretty much nobody at the World Cup, uh, just a huge difference. Uh, Ivan Tony has been charged with another 100,000 counts of, of breaching, <laughs> breaching the violations of the gambling. And I'm, I'm wondering, did Ivan Tony have the Wonder Goal underdog parlay? He's probably he a big score. listener, honestly. He, he, did, he, score. Would, he did score. He did score. The two goals for Brentford that, that cashed the largest leg uh, for it's Michael true. there, that 19 to 1. Uh, but anyway, yeah, from this match, look, Tottenham's biggest dominance and biggest success and their luck boxery has come from set pieces all season long. They've been the number one team going forward and defending set pieces. It's a big advantage and it's carried their attack, which has been otherwise very mediocre all season long. Uh, well, Brentford's a very good defensive set piece team and they can kind of mitigate the, the Spurs advantage there. They're, they're a good defensive set piece team. Uh, ranking the top seven defensively and defending set pieces. And Brentford also ha has the largest or longest average shot distance allowed. Now in, in past years, Spurs have been very good, at least in the past year, the, the second half of last season, Spurs were very good at generating big scoring chances. They were one of the best in the league at getting the one or two big chances every game this year, ninth, ninth in big scoring chances created. And it's kind of the point here, right? Like Spurs just have not been quite as good passing and creating and moving and creating those big chances. They just haven't been as good at ball retention. Uh, and I like Brentford at home here, catching half a goal. It's a classic Brentford spot. We've talked about this before home against the big six team. They've been very good in those spots. Always. They only have one home loss all season long and it came against uh, BJ's gunners. Uh, they've had three wins, three draws. Otherwise at home, I do think this is a good Brentford spot with Spurs potentially a bit flat coming off of the break. Brentford had their whole team together. Big difference there. I like the bees plus a half as my uh, first bet, but it is a seven 30 match. So I'm probably doomed, but also it's a, it's Monday. So maybe I'm not doomed. I'm with you. The, this Brentford money line, I think is a nice post Christmas gift at three to one. You said it, everybody at Spurs went to the world cup and they went deep and they, they just like left it. How many players on Tottenham, had their world cup ended with them holding their face in their shirt, knees on the ground, mud stains on their knees, right? Like that's going to take, I don't care what you say. It's going to take something. Even Romero. Romero was going to play in this match. Richarlison, Lloris. Like this, I'm just saying like, that's going to take a toll. And it's going to sound like that. Like the argument I made for Brentford against Man City before the world cup which was what manager would you want leading his charges into battle against a team like this, where he's just like, look, these are going to be wilting. They're not going to want to be here, man. Like this is a great spot. Like Brentford is Brentford possibly caught the two best spots. When you think about their opposition on, on uh, like if you bookend the world cup, right, they get man city right before the world cup. And now they're going to get Spurs right after the World Cup when they just had everybody on their team. Spurs were basically a World Cup team. Uh, they, were gonna beat is... them anyway. they would have beat them anyway. They could have yeah. played them on a rainy night on a Tuesday or on a Saturday or the World Cup. But also, it looks like uh, Richarlison's going to be out anyway with an injury. So he's out too, which it's, not that he's been it, that good for Spurs, but doesn't help not having him. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful spot. So, yeah, B's for me. Uh, BJ, have we convinced you here? Or Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably end up being on the B's. The one thing that just... 
it's going to be kind of concerning for me. And one thing I kind of wanted to watch with Brentford is, is the Ivan Tony thing, because they really don't have anybody behind him. He's only missed one match this season. It's going to be my guy, Keen Lewis Potter, probably playing up. Is top. he out though? Cause I think Tony has until January 4th to respond. Yeah. I, it, it'd be so a very I think weird he's situation. eligible to play. I mean, he might be eligible to play. If he is, I'm definitely betting Brentford. That was my only hook hiccup. It, look, it looks Obviously, to me like everything you guys said, the spot is perfect here for Brentford. All the minutes that Spurs have logged at the World Cup for Charleston being out. Obviously, Kulusevsky's back, which helps them. But I mean, this is classic just bees versus the top six. Like it's as simple as that. So I will be on Brentford if Tony plays. That's obviously big for them. But if he doesn't, I think I. If he, and, and if he does it, the number will go. We'll go That's higher. Number we'll go, and we'll get a better, better one. So get a better either way, I'm, I'm probably going to wait until we get have a lineup and we know yeah. what 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 happens. But right now, Tottenham's actually kind of getting steamed right now. Like they were even money, and now they're minus one fifteen. Yeah. So I don't really know what's going on there. I think it probably it's the Tony thing. But yeah, for me, I, I'm I'm going to wait and see what happens with all these lineups. There's just a lot of uncertainty right now with Brentford, and I I do have concerns for them going forward. If Tony's obviously he's obviously probably going to not play. Uh, for the rest of the season, if he even if he does play for these next few matches, yeah, right, Trippier let's... got what a ten month ban for for gambling, and that was way less of a uh, yeah. yeah we're, we might not be seeing Ivan Tony for a while. Uh, Who knows? I mean, that was Who way knows? Maybe maybe it was uh, all big, just a big misunderstanding. I, I'm choosing to hope that's the case because they would hate yeah. they would hate to see him ruin Brentford for us. All of our ben, Brentford futures that we have, yeah, it would. Oh, I, I, by the way, I pulled it up. It was when Japan lost on the penalty shootout. Was when I bet. Yeah, that's oh, what I thought. I pulled yeah, up yeah, when Japan went, when December fifth. Went zero for four in penalty shootouts yeah. in the World Cup. <laughs> um, all right, let's stick around in London. Uh, Palace is an even money favorite, hosting Fulham. The draw here is plus two seventy five. Got I've got nothing here. Uh. I think the number on Palace is probably a little too short, but um, can you trust this Fulham defense, BJ? I think, uh, yeah, this is a pass for me. Like I have Palace projected a plus one hundred six, so I think this is one of those matches that, especially coming off a World Cup break, where like Fulham, their defense is so bad. Like they have only there's only one match this season where they haven't allowed a big scoring chance. So. They're one of the worst defenses. I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Um, you know, Palace is classic, you know, Palace at home. Uh, but again, I, I'm with you. I think the number's a little bit too short here on Palace, who even going into the break didn't really look that good uh, against Nottingham Forest. So, yeah, this is a pass for me. That was they for, they for sure month. did not look good. In that it was game. a wonderful yeah, that was, that was a, and then that a, was a big one for a us. VAR overturn. It was wonderful. It's just great. Uh, Anthony, anything here uh, before we move on? You know, we have our little matrix that we use to kind of prep for these and you pull up the, the, the palace Fulham one and it's like a ticking time bomb with these two teams. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really bad. I mean, palace, man. Uh, they might not be the, good. Like every refs, XG numbers don't have them as, as a bad team. Like they just have them as like a mediocre team. But if you look around in some of the other websites that, that maybe chart XG a little bit differently or have, you know, different methodologies, uh, some of them have them, have them way lower than, than I do for sure. And so I think uh, we need to take a, another closer look at Palace. Uh, this is not the spot to do it, though, because Fulham is also a team with plenty of regression coming. The biggest thing for Fulham and the only thing Fulham does well is cross. I mean, they've scored, you know, more goals off of headers than any team in the league. Mitrovic has, has been the GOAT, uh, and he's been incredible this season. You know, how sustainable is that? You know, we'll see for Mitro, but... Uh, I think that this is a good stay away game. You know, we never liked really betting Palace as a favorite. They have won three straight home games, but... 
Uh, you, you go and look at, like, they just can't ever get the ball into the box. It seems like it's a problem uh, that they're never able to progress the ball into the penalty area with consistency like they were last year. Uh, and even keeping opponents out of their own penalty area has been a bigger problem this year than it was last year, too. So maybe we're heading to Vieira's second year here. I don't know, but it, it's it's concerning for both of these teams and something to watch. And I, I would I would maybe, you know, maybe even play an under, but again, like the Fulham unders have burned me so many times this year. This team just loves to concede and score goals out of nothing uh, from no like rhyme or reason. And it's been an ongoing thing for the last two years. It's just they don't regress. So I'm gonna I'm gonna probably pass here. Hi, uh, congratulations to anybody who cashed a Wolverhampton last at Christmas bet. Um, they will head to Boxing Day in 20th place where they will head to Goodison Park in a relegation six-pointer against Anthony's Everton. Uh, Everton plus 125 at home. Wolverhampton plus 220. The draw here is plus 230. Julian Lopetegui. I just I was kind of hoping that when when Wolves hired him, they were just going to shift from, from all Portuguese players to just like Spanish players. Uh, Brazilian, they're going Brazilian, but now they're going Brazilian. Yeah, they just brought yeah. in with same language, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, it's basically Portuguese, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I don't think that this number is going to stick where it is, is the point. I don't think everyone is going to close plus 125. I, I believe that Wolves will take money. Um, at plus 220, it's, it's got to be Wolves or nothing, and that hurts for you, Anthony, going against your boys, the Toffees, you know. Uh, I like forgot what happened in the Premier League in the last month. Like I had to go back and like re reaffirm myself of everything. And I didn't realize just how bad Everton's defense was. I mean, it's, it's really bad. They're 20th in shots allowed 19th and non-penalty XG allowed. They played 15 matches. So that means there's four teams in the league. They haven't played two of them are Man City and Arsenal. So they have not played the two best attacks in the league. thus thus far. This are maybe, you know, two of the three best with Liverpool uh, best attacks in the league. And they are still the, the second worst defense. Uh, and like they've been bailed out by they're Pickford. working out the kinks they've been, it's still they've been bailed out by Pickford um this is one of those like classic uh overrated underrated you know regression on both ends pointing in the same direction for me here and uh look it's not like a pretty bet I'm not gonna sit here and, and wax poetically about wolves uh by the way Jose saw third worst keeper in the league by post shot expected goals this year uh so yeah ha but as far as this game goes, I like Wolves. I like Wolves team total over one and a half. I, I think that this Everton team is just is another, you know, I said ticking time bomb. Like they're on the verge of, of potential trouble here with given how badly they've been playing defense. And I, and I wonder like how much of it is, you know, they're getting away with it. So they're, they're not really tinkering with the system because they're in theory, not conceding that many goals. And like, they're kind of okay in the middle of the table right now, but if they keep playing like this, the goals are going to be coming in in bunches. Uh, and I think Wolves, you know, you know, we're not always making the easiest bets here and betting Wolves to score and Wolves overs and Wolves. It's never easy, but you know, like they are going to start scoring at some point. And <laughs> now that they have a competent manager, I think, and somebody who has a plan, hmm. you know, you may not like him. He may be boring, but he does have a plan of, you know, we're going to get the ball the pitch slowly. We're going to progress it out wide. We're going to get crosses in. Wolves do cross at a pretty good rate. Everton doesn't stop crosses either. They're dead last. It's uh, stopping crosses. So I'd like you to say that to Connor Cody to his face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, they have major issues and I, I'm going to back wolves here on the road. Yeah. They, as painful they, as that they, is, they, they only have eight goals this year from, you know, 15 expected. Like there are, there is positive regression coming for this wolves team. Like they are not 
I have a relegation ticket on them. I would be surprised if they were relegated. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I I think that's that's the funny thing about the table right now too. They're better you, than I thought. You if you yeah the twentieth the twentieth place, place team in the table is too. better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just let's just quickly look at the the bottom three since we're we're talking or the bottom of the table since we're talking about two uh, team in seventeenth and Everton and and uh, Wolves uh, who are at the foot. They're propping it up. Uh, Wolves at ten points. Southampton twelve. Nottingham Forest at 13. Those are your three teams in the drop zone right now. Then right above them, Everton, West Ham, Leeds, and Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth at 16, Leeds 15, Everton and West Ham both at 14. And if just if you take those teams, you can kind of separate them into what kind of what you just said, Anthony, which is like West Ham is much better than I think we, we we've seen out of them. And yes. we've given them credit for Wolves. Similarly, I think are going to get better. Um, and then you got a team like Bournemouth that has <laughs> is, is just been kind of cratering down the table. But still, I mean, for them to be on uh, 16 points in, uh, through 15 games is still impressive. Anyway, I cannot wait to bet them this weekend. <laughs> I know. BJ, be so much fun. B- before we get there, uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts here on Wolves and Everton? Because you're kind of going in a different direction from Anthony. Yeah, you, you know, Michael. Um, this happens all the time, right? We have Euros or we have a World Cup and, you know, it's similar it's, with any other sport, whether it be horse racing, whatever it is. You say, oh, my gosh, this is so much fun. I'm going to do this every single day. Well, then you pull up this match. It's on Peacock Premium. Thank God. I thought they were going to put it on USA Network. And you watch 90 minutes of it and you're like to the common, you know, the common fan and being like, yeah, I, I can't I can't do this. When is uh, I don't know when are the when do the Jags and Jets play? Um because I got like I like both both teams to score now. One of my favorite bets, minus one hundred five. La Liga, um, put these two teams in La Liga. Yeah, put them in La Liga. Put them at the bottom <laughs> half of the table. Um, no, it's just I get it. Like what it's Anthony's point. Like Everton's defense has been very fortunate because of that. Pickford has been in incredible form. But do you really? I don't really expect Wolves to break down another low block here. I mean, Everton's playing, you know, the second deepest average defensive line only to Manchester United. Like they're 18th in field tilt, like they're 16th in passes per defensive action. They are truly just a low block and hope type of team. But we forget that Wolves has one of the highest average shot distances in the Premier League. 42% of their shots come from outside of the box. They've created just eight big scoring chances. That's dead last in the Premier League. And listen, the flip side of the coin is, is like there have been large stretches where Everton has taken maybe one or two shots over 120 minutes on the pitch. Now I get it. Now Dominic Calvert-Lewin's back. Like that helps, but I mean, Everton's at what one non-penalty expected goal per 90. They're 17th in shots per 90. They got the fourth lowest expected threat. Uh, and they just, they did just beat Aston Villa in a behind closed door friendly. So look out. Yeah. Um, was Jared anyway, but no, I like I, I like the value <laughs> on this. I have projected at minus one twenty nine. I think this is one of those matches that Everton's going to concede a ton of possession to Wolves. Wolves is going to do what they do best: do absolutely nothing with all that possession, take a ton of shots from outside the box against. Ruben Nevis is banging one. So, um, I love both teams to score. No, at minus one hundred five. I will say, uh, was it what episode? Maybe it was two episodes before the end of the year. I, I went on this thing and I said Wolves are going to, they're going to. Uh, like they're they're gonna take a ton of shots from distance and then like one or two of them is gonna go in and then they they played like a three two thriller it was the Brighton game they played a three two thriller with Brighton and I was sitting there 
like, oh, I was going to bet both teams to score and then never actually did. And that was uh, that, that feels like this kind of game for me. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I trust my Wolves. Maybe they'll win 2-0. Everybody's happy. I trust Everson's defense, Michael. I don't think Connor Cody can play in this one, though, um, since he's on loan from Wolves. And actually, it's true. Oh, I forgot about that. Hey, Yuri Mean is back. We're okay. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Cody Cody scored. For the first 20 minutes. Cody scored his only goal in, what, six years in this reverse fixture last year against Everton. (laughs) 1-0. All right. Leicester City, Newcastle. This is at the King Power. Leicester plus 230. Uh, Newcastle's plus 120. The draw here is plus 120. I think it's Newcastle or nothing. Um, I know Leicester started to trend up going into the break. Uh, but so did Newcastle. <laughs> like the, the Newcastle team is out of control good. Uh it's kind of annoying, but it is what it is. They've lost one game this season once. Uh their plus 18 goal differential is the third best mark in the league. They're in third on the table. They've got the third best expected goals. Uh, difference at football ref. Like, they, I just think they're a much better team than Leicester City. So I th- I'll, I'll probably be on, on Newcastle here as a short road favorite, which is, you know, not the greatest number in the world, but I'm still going to try to keep going against this Leicester team here and uh, hope for the best. <sighs> Anthony. Yeah, I like the under, you know, famous last words in these damn Leicester matches, but uh, Leicester have been scoring goals in bunches again and not really doing much to actually create good chances in those time. Uh, Newcastle has done a much better job of strangling possession from opponents, which should make it more difficult for Leicester to kind of just have ball in dangerous areas to get off those one or two bad shots that always seem to miraculously go in. But also this Newcastle team, I think we're at the peak of the market here on them. Like I do think that Newcastle is a little bit overvalued even. But again, like Leicester is not the team I want to fade them against. Like there will be fade opportunities, I think, for Newcastle as we get into the new year, uh, because I do think that they're a little bit hot right now. I mean, they're plus 18 goal difference, but the the XG difference is, is much closer, like 9-10, uh, which is still good, of course. Like they're a very good team, but they've also been much better away for, or at home than they've been away. About a half goal, half of an expected goal worse on the road as they've been at home, maybe point, point 0.6-ish. So they've been considerably worse, you know, defense uh, going forward on the road. So I think it'll be a kind of a cagey back and forth kind of game. And so uh, under two and a half plus money is a good bet for me. Uh, both teams just running really hot going forward. Uh, and I think there's regression coming for these attacks. So I like the under. Both teams were in action in the uh, EFL cup over the midweek as well. Uh, BJ, what are your thoughts here? Foxes, magpies. Yeah, I'm with Anthony. I'm going to go both teams to score now plus 130. Um, I think we forget going into the break how ridiculously hot Lester was offensively 19 goals off of 12.5 expected since September 4th. I mean, they're similar to wolves where they're, you know, they have a very, very long average shot distance. Like they lead the premier league with nine goals from outside the box off of 2.9 expected. It's just not sustainable. And they also have created the third fewest uh, big scoring chances. So some, this Lester offense is going to crater and fall off. And you also have to think, okay, does James Madison or Yuri Tillemans, are they pushing for a January move? So um, you also have to factor that in. And I mean, listen, Lester, what they obviously do a great job of is they play through pressure very well because they have great uh, ball progressors, you know, and Tillemans and Madison who can play through that type of pressure. But if you look through their performances against good pressing teams, like it hasn't really been that good. So against top five pressing teams, which would be Leeds, Man City, Chelsea, and Arsenal, 
In every single one of those matches, Leicester, Leicester allowed a pass per defensive action under 11. They allowed a uh, combined 24 high turnovers. And Newcastle, they've turned into one of the best pressing teams in the Premier League. Like, they're third in passes per defensive action. They're second in high turnovers. And right before the break against Chelsea, they had a pass per defensive action of 7.7 against them. So, and the Newcastle defense, I mean, they've held, they've had seven clean sheets. They're only allowing 0.9 non only expected goals per match or top five and expected threat allowed and all these other defensive categories. And in only six of their 15 opponents have created over one expected goal. And that was Liverpool city, Brighton, Brentford, Tottenham and Southampton. So uh, this is another situation where, you know, similar to wolves. Like if you're going to bet on either Leicester to score or Leicester in this match, it's probably going to have to be from outside the box. Cause I don't really see them getting anything of value inside the box against them. So I like the value in both teams to score. No, at plus plus one Uh Southampton and Brighton in a South coast derby uh, saints plus two forty at home. Brighton plus one ten on the road. The draw uh, sitting up there around 200. Nathan Jones in from Luton town. Goodbye to Ralph Hassan Hoodle. Terrible. I, I hate it. It is sad. Um, it would be Saints or nothing for me, but Anthony and I don't have anything here. BJ, what are your thoughts on Nathan Jones and Saints? Yeah, I don't have anything for this match, but I can tell you what we're going to expect from, from Nathan Jones. It's going to be, they are going to be the most direct team in the Premier League by a long shot. It's funny, if you go to, you go to Opta, they have this wonderful chart uh, that shows whether teams are basically how direct they play or how uh, possession-based and slow and intricate. And Luton Town is like all the way up in the left-hand corner. Um, they're kind of going to be – they're kind of like the Union Berlin of the championship. But with that being said, that doesn't mean Southampton's going to stop their frenetic pressing because Luton Town this season was top five in pass per defensive action and high turnovers in the championship. And what – Nathan Jones is going to have them do. They're going to set a ton of pressing traps in the middle of the pitch, which is a lot of different from what a lot of teams try to do. A lot of teams try to get, you know, get uh, teams to push the ball out wide, especially given the fact that they play a three, five, two, but they actually want people to play through the middle and then trap them there, which is a, a very dangerous game to play. If it works, it works out great. Cause then you can counter press and go right back through the middle of the pitch. But yeah, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how Southampton kind of adapts to that and that become how they become, you know, essentially, uh, the most direct team in the Premier League. So that'll be something to look out for. And this match, especially against Brighton, a team that's very possession-based, a team that's really, really good at playing through pressure. Uh, this will be a very, very good barometer to see if Nathan Jones's style of play can work in the Premier League. Yeah, I think generally we're going to find out kind of just like what, how much was Ralph elevating what is, what is on paper a bad team? Like, I mean, they're very young. Like, they're very young. They're very team. young. They have a bunch of dudes who can run around a lot, but, like, they're not good. Right. Uh, and they don't have, like, good play. Like, they have a couple guys where, you're, you know, you're kind of, you know, one for the future types. But nobody on that team where I'm like, oh, there's a guy, you know. And that's the thing that we're going to find out is, you know, Nathan Jones might be a decent manager. I don't know. But if he's not as good as Ralph and he doesn't get that level – they're in danger of going down, I think. But we're going to find out soon. They'll probably get a new manager bout. Even yeah. though Southampton was kind of playing right around their numbers anyway. So maybe not. Uh, yeah, this would be the spot I would actually bet them. 
here, like just the new manager bounce boxing day should be a good atmosphere. Brighton no, had like no the McCall- best players no in the world Cup, so. right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. So then you had McAllister. The, the, people are saying the biggest winners of the World Cup were the Brighton scouting department. I mean, they are the best. I mean, we for two years we've been just, just said it, just pumping them up. Yeah. Uh, right. This is a good one. It, a couple nights ago, I was just looking at the Boxing Day schedule. Aston Villa plus 350. They're hosting Liverpool minus 138. The draw is plus 275. And I was thinking that would have been nice to see Steven Gerrard and going up against his old teams. Too bad that he's gone. And I could, for, for the life of me, I couldn't remember who was managing Aston Villa for a couple minutes. And then I realized <laughs> it's, it's our U- guy. Our guy, Unai Emery, getting re- and he's getting revenge semis. from Villarreal. Love this it. is a huge match for us. And this is, this is. It's Aston, this is this is a good number on Aston Villa with the way that they're going. Uh, as Anthony, as you pointed out early on the year that this team should be good, but they had a manager who you adored. You had posters of him in your bedroom. And now <laughs> they're all posters. down. They're all down. And uh, we're finally seeing Villa unleashed. And they're actually a better team. Who would have saw it coming? Uh, I like Villa. They, they played two matches with Unai, right? Or is it three? Um, whatever I know they beat, I know they, I know that they beat Man United, yes, yeah. But, um, and yeah. he's also, he also is, and they beat, yeah, they also beat uh Brighton on the road, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and he also took Villarreal to the Champions League semifinals last year, so uh, he, he's a pretty good manager, this guy. Um, I like Unai Emery's Asseville on the money line here, long story short. Uh, what do you got for us, Anthony? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is all about Liverpool too, though. I mean, again, another club that, you know, finds itself at the high end of players who played in the World Cup. Uh, not as high as some of the other teams, if you look, kind of look across their roster, but they did have plenty of guys. Uh, but they've been a disaster away from Anfield this year. They've conceded almost 11 expected goals in six league matches away. The only away win they've had was at Spurs, uh, a game that was very even, and their best chance came off of an Eric Dyer back header that just fell right to... Mo Salah. So, you know, that is not encouraging. They've been really bad. Still no Diaz, still no Jota. So, like, this is not your normal Liverpool pressing front either. Like, they normally get great pressing out of Jota and Diaz when they're out there. But they're not going to get that from, you know, like a Salah and even a Darwin. Um, so, there are some question marks for Liverpool here. And uh, Emery has seen this. I mean, he's seen the Klopp press. He's, he's had experience breaking out of a much better version of it. The team that he saw last year for Villarreal, much better. So now he's getting a Villa team that I don't know that they're that suited to play, you know, Emery ball, but they can definitely break a press. And, uh, you know, with the World Cup advantage, I think this is interesting because not only did Emery not have all of his guys at the World Cup, but he just came in. So he gets a full, you know, international break a month long. Yeah, training camp. To train, but yeah, to basically, it's like an off season, essentially. It was damn near almost as long as the off season. Yeah. About the math. So I have I love this spot for for Villa at home. Plus a half, plus money. I'm in. Might even money line sprinkle it too because I do think we have a high variance weekend here, just coming into the Christmas period, with uh, a lot of these clubs, you know, going from no games to a lot of games really quickly. Liverpool does play City. It's kind of a tune up into Carabao, but they do play uh, a Thursday against City, so they you know could be a little bit of fatigue depending on who plays and whatnot. BJ, your Arsenal. Minus mm-hmm. two hundred, league leaders Arsenal. We forget. Uh, yeah, they they went into the they went into the World Cup as as your league leaders, 
Uh, they are minus 200 hosting West Ham, 5-1. to one. The draw is plus 333. This West Ham team is severely underrated right now. If you just <laughs> look at the table, um, it's, it's, it's bananas. Uh, they have a, a minus five goal differential. They're a plus three expected goal differential. They're the best, or sorry, not the best, but the third best team in terms of preventing big scoring chances or non-penalty expected goals. Fifth best team in preventing big scoring chances. They have nine losses. I'm <laughs> uh, for last year's luck box. Yeah, it, it could be. But even even like the beginning part of last year, they were playing better. Like they deserved a lot of their results. It was just towards the end. Um, they're a dangerous underdog, and they're a very dangerous underdog when the price is this big, five to one. So uh, I'll be on the hammers here. Uh, <laughs> it's it's I think it's it's a great spot. Uh, BJ, what do you have here? Yeah, I like the under uh, two and a half plus one hundred five. You're getting plus money on two of the top three defenses in the Premier League, so I think it's a fantastic price. I mean, let's be honest. The reason Arsenal's in first place is because of their defense. Like, they're only allowing 0.73 non-penalty expected goals per match. They've allowed just five big scoring chances all season long. That's obviously the best in the Premier League. And what they do a fantastic job of, Michael, is they are so good in transition defense. They're allowing the fewest progressive passes and dribbles in the Premier League because of Saliba, Thomas Party, and Shaka, who are all outstanding uh, defending in transition. And that's basically what West Ham is going to do in this match because, I mean, West, listen, I'll be honest, West Ham has underperformed offensively. Um, they have been fortunate. They have gotten quite a few penalties. And since Piqueta has joined, they have been better. But, I mean, against the big six, they've they've only created uh, 4.9 expected goals in five matches. They've only created 12 big scoring chances all season long. They're 17th in touches in the opponent's penalty area. So this still isn't a, a top 10 offense. And, I mean, listen, David Moyes, to his credit, I mean, he's got this defense playing exactly – how he wants them to like their low block has been incredibly effective. Like they're going to, they're going to have no problem conceding a ton of possession to Arsenal. Like, I mean, West Ham's dead last second to last and pass per defensive action. Like they have one of the lowest average defensive lines and they're getting the field tilted on them at the 43%, but they're only allowing 0.89 non-penalty expected goals for match. Like this is a really, really, really good defense. And we have to remember that Arsenal, well, they do have some impressive offensive numbers, Gabriel Jesus is out, which means Eddie Nketa is going to be up top. And he's been basically a consistently 0.4 XG per 90 striker throughout his career. So it is a downgrade uh, up top for Arsenal. So uh, this is going to be a situation where the pace of this match is going to be very, very slow. West Ham's going to sit deep and look to counter. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that very effectively. So um, I only have 2.39 goals projected. So if you give me under two and a half and plus money, I got to take it. All right, let's flip it to December 27th. There are two games. Uh, and then there's one on the 28th. Uh, the two, the first of the two that we'll talk about on the 27th, Chelsea minus 300. Bournemouth. <laughs> Don't do it, <laughs> eight BJ. To, eight to one. Oh. The draw is four to one, BJ. Take it. Yeah. Um, I think we forget how truly bad Chelsea was going into the break. Um, under Graham Potter, they have a minus 3.2 expected goal differential in their last six matches before the break. If you take away penalties. They lost the expected goals battle in every single match to Villa, Brentford, United, Brighton, Arsenal, and Newcastle. Now, Bournemouth is not one of the, the level of those teams. I get that. But the problem still exists for Chelsea, and I don't think they've solved it, or they're going to solve it anytime soon, is that they just don't have an out-and-out striker, and they're struggling to turn final third possession 
into any type of scoring chance. I mean, if you look at it, I said this before the break, but like they're top 10 in progressive passes and dribbles, box entries, like expected threat, which is awesome. But they've taken the fewest shots inside the six yard box. They're outside the top 10 in big scoring chances allowed. They're only averaging one non-penalty expected goal per match. Like that's 15th in Premier League. And if you look at their injury report, like it hasn't gotten much better over the World Cup break. Like Conte is going to be out, Broja Torres ACL, Fofana is going to be out, and then you have Reese James, Choel, Kepa, and Aspilicueta all questionable for this match. And listen, I understand Bournemouth is finishing at a ridiculous rate right now, but this match sets up perfectly for their direct counterattacking style. And their offense has gotten better since the beginning of the season. Like the last nine matches, they have created nine expected goals, which is a lot better than what we saw in the first seven or so. And they have created 11 big scoring chances over those nine matches. And I mean, listen, they're going to sit deep. They're going to concede a ton of possession to Chelsea, allow them to tilt the field on them. But if you look at the matches that Chelsea's played against low blocks, I mean, since Potter's taken over, Palace, only 1.1 expected goals created. Villa, only 0.9 created. Brentford, only 0.9. United, only 1.1. I mean, also, you know, Bournemouth, they went to Newcastle uh, right at the end of September. Newcastle closed at minus 250. Now we're getting Chelsea, who has been really, really bad uh, going into the break, and they're sitting at minus 320. Like, th- this is an overpriced Chelsea team. So I'm going to take Bournemouth plus, plus one and a half at minus 105. I, it's one of those type of situations where I think we all believe that Potter's going to turn this around, right? And we want to get in when that happens, but you're looking at this price and you're like, this is too big for Chelsea right now. So if they prove me wrong and they win this match for nothing and they pound them, then yes, they may have turned the corner, but with all the injuries, with how bad they've looked, I'm not so sure it's going to happen. So I like Bournemouth plus plus one and a half and minus 105. I mean, you get to follow that one up with another beauty. Yeah. Manchester United is minus 334, uh, four is plus 750, and the draw is plus 450. This game also I can't on do it here. December 27th. I, can't, I don't know if I can do it either. Both of these games. I, I kind of lean towards I'll, – I'll go first here because uh, – Please, like, please Forrest has improved defensively. I think that's the biggest thing we've seen with this team. Uh, you know, And they do get you know like a month to vet in some of these new guys. I mean, they, they bought a lot of these players. They're going to play them. That's kind of the biggest question, like a remo oh, for January transfer windows coming up, Anthony. We got 10 more guys <laughs> right, coming so in. they got to get 20 more players. But uh, yeah, they have improved defensively. I think like if you look at a rolling XG chart, they are trending up in the right direction. Uh, and I and like things are improving. Like they weren't going to continue to concede goals at the rate they were. But even improved Forest is still giving up like one and a half XG per match. Um, United like their defense has made huge strides, but I still have question marks about this attack as well. Uh, getting Ronaldo out of the picture, probably a net positive. Rashford scored today, had a nice run. Uh, I do think this is a comfortable United win in the end, but uh, you know, an under three is uh, staring me in the face and uh, I may get there by the end. Cause this just strikes me as a two nil kind of win for United. I don't see them having a ton of problems with forest here. I mean, United's overpriced again. Like I'll say it week in and week out. Like they are. They are. Obviously, like, so, I mean, Anthony hit the nail on the head. Is that Nottingham Forest's defense has improved. Like they've allowed, what, nine or 10 goals from outside the box. Like that just can't continue over a long stretch. And yeah, United got a comfortable win over Burnley uh, on on Monday. But, you know, Rashford is going to have to be, him or Martial are going to have to be the out and out striker now, which both are obviously capable of doing. Like they have a ton of talent. But, 
I mean, United at this big a price. And we forget that United, what they're doing under Ten Hag is once they score, they are sitting way deep and they are just looking to win matches one nothing. I mean, they have the lowest def- average defensive line in the Premier League and they're getting the field tilted on them at a very, very high rate. So um, this is one of those situations, like, do I trust Nottingham Forest to not give up a counterattacking goal? Like, obviously that could happen very easily. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be staying away. Like we're sitting at a flat, uh, plus one and a half right now. If that if plus one and a half gets to even money, I'm gonna take Nottingham Forest and I'm gonna watch some dumb goal go in in the 88th minute. But yeah, I mean United once again they're overpriced. I mean this is a team that has a, basically an even expected goal differential. Like stop acting like this team is good, everybody. They're good. They're not good. Oh, Ten Hag is the, is the best manager in the world. <laughs> Uh, December twenty eighth. He own, he owns. He's got real estate in BJ's head though. That's for sure. Because we're back from the World Cup. BJ got a month off from fading United. It, yeah, no, and, and, and he's back. I'm, uh, take, I'm probably gonna end up taking. Speaking of, speaking of the best manager in the world. Uh, Damn right. The Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola. No, no, no. The <laughs> run they went on at the end of the year, or right yeah. before the cup break, was absolutely this this stuff of legends. Leeds United, baby. Leeds. Everybody was doubting. They, they had back-to-back just ridiculous victories against Liverpool and Bournemouth come from behind against Bournemouth, the game of the year. And then they had the most ridiculous loss to Tottenham on the final day. I love them in this spot. I love them. Man City had the most players at the World Cup by minutes played. You can go across the list. I know Erling Holland didn't play. And, like, I'm kind of terrified of the matchup there. But plus one and a half. Leads at home this year, boss Arsenal, boss Chelsea. Okay, stop. Went toe to toe with Liverpool at Anfield. Oh Everton, Everton took them to the woodshed. The, all, all things that happened again at Elland Road. Uh, they've been a very good team there. Like I said, uh, except against very, Everton. Very impressive showing. Yeah, I mean that game was like dead even. I, yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. Though. <laughs> but my my point here is like, look. They're still undervalued. I'm catching a goal and a half at home. It's the flat spot for City coming off the World Cup. City just lost. I don't think. Yeah, gonna, I know they just flat. lost. I don't care. I love Leeds plus one and a half, and I will bet this. Uh, and if you're keeping score at home, by the way, uh, that means I'm betting against Liverpool, City, and Tottenham the first weekend. Welcome to one goal. And that is the, that is the sign. <laughs> if you're somebody who's coming off the World Cup and you're like, you just got into soccer, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll stay with these guys through the Premier League. You're like, oh, boy, this is going to turn a lot of our new I listeners mean, off, Anthony. Well, well you know, if they, we did, if they did join that, us then, they I would heard rather us, bet. They heard us betting, betting against Spain know. and against yeah. Germany. We, look, we were, we were right on some of those. I, I, we were, we're very right. right. Um, let me just read the odds. Brought to you by our great friends at Bet365 for the Leeds and City match. Uh, Leeds on the three-way money line. They're at home, plus 650. City minus 350. The draws plus 550. I will say that there's this. it's, it's not a bad spot. You know, I, I get that they just lost City, and, and I was being facetious. But uh, – and I just, I just don't trust <laughs> – I like, I just don't trust the style against City. City – I know. I just like I don't. They bossed Arsenal, Chelsea, and went toe to toe with Liverpool, and they've only had one player at the World Cup who played more than two hundred and fifty minutes, and it was Tyler Adams. I mean, he's not going to play in this match, right? That hurts. It does. I don't know if Sinsatera is going to play. Like, there's there's some actually some quite some injury and, concerns. And I know it's Leeds. I know it's Bielsa, but 
isn't this isn't this a has I mean, they're city, still pressing just as much as yeah. Has it, city it might, it might just be apart. a little bit. It might be more controlled, but like they're still yeah. pressing at a crazy rate. Um, and I, I know Anthony doesn't want me to mention this, but City beat the Leeds Academy seven nothing last year. Um, and yeah, this is I, I don't know if I can do it. I don't that hate a both teams to score. I don't hate a both teams to score here, Anthony. Like I do think Leeds when they're down a ton could pick City <laughs> off on transition. Um, but yeah, no, I I can't do it here. Um, all right, that's the Premier League. Uh, I just don't think, like, Leeds are an average Premier League. League team. I don't think City are a goal and a half better away from home against an average Premier League team. I think they're about a goal better. That's my take. We that's, will that's see. We will see. We all hate Leeds. We all hate <laughs> Leeds. Legal uh, is playing this weekend this for some great, reason. This is a great hangover. For some like, reason, Leeds. <laughs> From the World Cup, you just watch Kylian uh, Mbappe. You think he's the greatest player in the world, and then you have to go oh my god, that video that our friend uh, and former guest of this podcast, two time guest of this podcast, Fabrizio Romano, posted of, of Mbappe getting out of his car. I just felt bad for him um, as he had headed to PSG training. I legal BJ. You can go first. Yeah, I like uh, Nice draw no bet at plus one twenty. I think what you're getting is just an overpriced lens team that, I mean, they're really good. Like they're the second best team in league on right now, but if you look at their home and away splits, they're, you know, they're a plus 11.4 overall expecting goal differential 10.6 of that has come at home and nice. They've actually gotten quite better. Like they've won the expected goals battle in the last six matches before the world cup break. And what they did is they switched back to the four, four, two that they had so much success with Christophe Galtier. Um, and it's like they, they drew Leon right before the break, you know, beat them on expected goals, 1.6 to 1.3. Um, so I really don't know, think they should be this significant of underdogs uh, here at home uh, against Lens, who really hasn't played that difficult of a schedule here in League One. They played Leon and they played Monaco, but they've got PSG on decks here on uh, New Year's Day. So maybe a little bit of a look head spot here for Lens. Um, so I like Nice, John uh, Obet, plus 120 at home. Uh, Anthony, you you you've got a illegal piss uh, piss. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> got, Don't cut that. Don't yeah. cut that. <laughs> uh, you've got a legal pick for us as well. Yeah, uh, Strasbourg plus one and a half against the Parisians. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is just like Messi and Mbappe and Neymar. Like, the, and I had this spot circled before the World Cup because I was going to bet Strasbourg anyway. Uh, Strasbourg continues to be a team that I don't understand. I can't comprehend their incompetence. Uh, they're sitting in 19th with like the 16th best expected goals. So, like they're really bad. They're playing really is my badly. Top, is my top three ticket dead yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> DJ and, uh, and, and I know other, I know another person that has that ticket. So oh, boy. You're not the only person who, who yeah. was wondering what happened to Strasbourg, but they were really good last year. They were, uh, you know, like, Four tenths of a goal better than their opponents. Per they match. were like a uh, they were a match away from the top three. Yeah, and uh, now they're like in the relegation battle, and that just doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. So I'm going to keep buying the same team. Strasbourg. <laughs> it, they haven't lost any key players. It's just uh, the other manager. No, so nope. it, it's very strange. Um, and I'm going to just keep buying low on this damn team until uh, they get the results. And this is just this is just a great spot though. I mean, getting PSG like the whole the whole reason PSG is good is the three dudes at the top and. They all have their mind elsewhere, I think. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Lionel Messi's going to be. I don't know if he'll be there. I don't know if he's going to have his mind on this one. Um, all right. That brings us to our 
three-leg underdog parlay, as you might have heard. Uh, we hit our last one. We're, ne- we're never going to hit one again. Two, I just hope uh, one, one. <laughs> Although this one feels pretty good. I got to say. It does feel good. It does look good. Uh, BJ, you just talked about him. Uh, so yeah. Make it snappy. Yeah, I like Nice, uh, plus 220. Again, just, I think just an overvalued uh, lens team here on the road, getting, uh, uh, you know, Nice in a pretty good spot here at home. So plus 220 is a good enough price for me. I like West Ham, five to one. Oh. <laughs> uh, they, they're taking on Arsenal on the road. You're getting a top five uh, Premier League defense here against a team that hopefully you're catching in a perhaps sleepy spot coming off uh, the World Cup. So give me David Moyes, give me West Ham. I think that they should be able to punch up pretty well here. Good number, five to one. Anthony. Yeah, I'm going to go with Brentford, plus 300 against the Tottenham, my boys. Uh, This is all about, of course, it's Brentford at home in a situational spot where they've been excellent at home against a big six team. They only have one loss at home all year. It came against Arsenal, but they've been very competitive in their other home matches against other top teams, getting a draw with Chelsea where they were the better side. Uh, they've been very good, as always, at the Brentford Community Stadium. They can also neutralize Spurs' effectiveness on set pieces. So give me the, give me the, uh, the Bs uh, as my underdog pick of the week. Uh, all right, let's move to our best bets. And I'll go first because I'll stay right there. My favorite bet on the board, Brentford plus 300 against Tottenham. Anthony kind of just laid it all out there. The Bs, fifth and big scoring chances created on the season as well. Should catch a pretty tired distracted Tottenham Hotspur team here in their first match back from the world cup, 7:30 AM Saturday morning. Let's start things off with a nice win on those Brentford bees, baby. Uh, BJ, what do you got? I like Bournemouth plus one and a half at minus five. <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, we forget how bad Chelsea was going into the break. Like they under Potter, they have a minus 3.2 expected goal differential. They've lost the expected goals battle in their last six matches before the break. And, and the same problems still exist for Chelsea that I don't think they've solved is that they can't turn final third possession into any type of scoring chance. Like if you look through a lot of their metrics, their top six in progressive passes and dribbles, their top six in expected threat, but they're outside the top 10 in big scoring chances. They've only taken six shots from inside the six yard box. That's the lowest in the premier league. So that's why you see them only averaging one non penalty expected goal per match. That's 15th in the premier league. And if you look at their injuries as well, Conte is not going to play Broja. They're only out and out striker right now has torn his ACL and they have a ton of other guys questionable. So Bournemouth, who, yes, has overperformed, but they have gotten a lot better as the season has progressed, especially offensively. Like their last nine matches, they've created at least one expected goal on average in those nine matches. They've created 11 big scoring chances as well. And this is a perfect match for them to sit in their deep low block to counter Chelsea, who has been very vulnerable in transition, uh, especially with how weak their midfield has been. So I think you're just getting an overpriced Chelsea team here. I think the market is betting on Chelsea to make this turn under Potter, who we all believe is a great manager, but I need to see it first before, uh, before it actually happens. So um, I like Bournemouth plus one and a half at minus one Oh five. Anthony, take us home. Yeah. We'll make it uh, another Brentford pick. I'll go Brentford plus a half though. I'll get that draw protection. Cause I could see this ending in a draw, uh, but I do think Brentford is undervalued to get all three points. The set pieces are just really important for me. Spurs have been not very good at creating big scoring chances this year. That was their calling card. Brentford doesn't concede big scoring chances. They force you to shoot from distance. Tottenham could get very frustrated in this game. If they're not creating set pieces, they're not generating chances off of them. Their attack has been very mediocre. 
otherwise. Uh, Kane not getting the shots he normally does. Son not getting the shots he normally does. And Spurs, of course, one of the biggest clubs for World Cup minutes. Uh, guys like Benton Kirk, Kane, and Son. Richarlison out for this match. Larice just coming off the World Cup final. There's a lot of hangover potential here for Spurs, whereas Brentford has had pretty much their whole team together, and I think they're going to have Tony uh, in the lineup for now. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts, but Brentford plus a half for me. That does it for this part of Wonder Goal, but be sure to stick around for our interview with former U.S. men's national team member Eric Winalda. We talked about uh, the state of the U.S. team as we look ahead to 2026 and recap what just happened in Qatar. Talk a little Bochum, talk a little messy. So be sure to check that out. All right, Eric, it is Boxing Day. We talked a ton of Premier League, but we still, the World Cup is still on everyone's mind. And here in the States, with the World Cup coming to the States in 2026, along with the US, or along with Canada and Mexico, I want you to set odds. Greg Burhalter managing Team USA. At 2026, or I can put it simply: Would you make him the favorite? Uh, no, I would not. I, I I don't even think it's a it, it would be a topic to be honest. I from 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 what we're hearing right now, um, a lot of rumblings on the inside. There's some leveraging going on. Let's put it that way uh, in those conversations, and that's why it's leaked that sometimes uh, Greg Berhalter has been offered a new deal or is in in discussions about one. Uh, I don't. I don't think he's going to stay. Ernie Stewart um, and uh, Brian McBride, the two guys that really, you know, for the majority, will make the make that decision. They'll do that with the new CEO, JT Batson, who has very high aspirations uh, for the World Cup team. Um, he is not interested in being mediocre anymore. Uh, those are his words, not mine. Uh, I would. I would tend to, to lean towards the idea of having a very high profile manager. We might go through a period uh, in the next six to uh, maybe six six months to a year, possibly maybe less than that, six to eight months, where we could have an interim coach. We've done that before. Uh, well, the search continues if we can't land the guy we want. But I don't I don't think Greg Berhalter uh, will be there. And it's twofold. It's not because we don't want him, or he's not. You know, it's 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 a failure because you, you you could write this off as a World Cup success story to to a certain extent. Uh, but he he's really leaning towards uh, an international job. He wants to go back to Europe, and I think that he's positioned himself well for that. So I expect that. But I I, I do not expect uh, him to be the coach in 2026. If he is the coach, I'm changing my nationality to Dutch. <laughs> if if you had your choice, then who who would you want to be the next United States men's national team manager for 2026? Would you want it to be an American, or would you want to maybe go to a a higher profile European manager. Well, I mean, th this is the big rub guys. I mean, the biggest thing that we've realized over the course of forever is that uh, nobody has ever won the world cup with a foreign manager. It's just <laughs> never happened. Uh, the problem is, is that we're behind in this game and, and finding a U.S. manager uh, of the, the, you know, of the ability to really take our team far in this competition is, is the real question. Jesse Marsh would be the four, uh, you know, the, the front runner, I would say. Uh, and maybe that's what that six months is about to see if he lasts and leads. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting uh, couple of weeks. I personally, I, I, I loved, I didn't love that. I loved and hated the Jurgen Klinsmann experiment, uh, but Klinsmann's um, I guess frustrations with the way things work over here 
uh, were, were actually led to his demise. He, he wanted to, to stay on, uh, but if you really look at all the things he said, he said, we need our Americans playing at the highest level. We need them playing in the Champions League. We need them in the EPL and, and the Bundesliga. All those things are now happening. Uh, and then we had a manager who couldn't handle that. So it, it, it really is a unique situation for us. But um, I, I, I personally, I like the idea uh, of high profile. Uh, I do think that we have the quality uh, and we'll have more quality by the time we get to the next phase. Uh, and we're going to need somebody that's not going to make it all about uh, the methodology and the philosophies and all the other stuff. It, we're going to have to have an Ancelotti type who just is the calm in the storm and doesn't, doesn't waver and, and just knows what to do next as opposed to guessing the, the guessing game that we saw in this World Cup. Well, I guess from a town perspective, like what do you see as the biggest area where the United States is kind of lacking? Is it the center backs? Is it the forwards? Where, where do you see the U.S. needing to kind of find town or develop town or take the next step forward uh, to try to compete with nations, you know, in that next tier, like the Dutch uh, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's Croatia or, or the teams, you know, up near the elite of the elite. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I think we need a nine. I don't think we have a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had one in PFOC and, and he, he kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, DK got hurt, which I thought would have been a, a, a pretty good, uh, option as well. I, I never understood that uh, Jesus Ferreira experiment, a false nine, five foot eight guy playing against the Netherlands in a knockout game. Anybody else can you can explain that to me? That'd be great. But I, I think um, I think we need we need to find a nine. I mean, you just mentioned the Netherlands. Look at Gakpo, for example. I mean, what he has been able to do uh, in one good tournament is move move the meter, and he's possibly on his way to Manchester United. So. Look, it's 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 going to be about scoring goals. We just came out of a big tournament where we went, you know, basically one one zero zero one zero, one goal again. So we we need to start finding the back of the net on a, on a regular basis. I think it it kind of speaks to the fact that we might have over underrated Josie Altador a lot as a country, just because his usefulness to the team and, and what he does and the fact that he puts a shift in and he is, he's a number nine. Um, one, one other question I have too on just on the coach, the fact that there is no qualifications cycle, right? Like the U S can put their feet up, so to speak, and, and just get into it. Does that make it more difficult to find, you know, the right guy because he's not going to be fake. I mean, I know that they want to go to the Copa America and stuff like that, but does that make, the, the search a little more a, a trickier endeavor because you're going to have to have someone who's not going to have to go through CONCACAP qualifying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, I mean, the teams like Jamaica and Costa Rica, you know, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, those teams are, are going to battle it out this time. Um, and, and Canada and, and Mexico and the United States get the free pass as you, as you would say, look, we, we went through this in 94. Uh, and I think Borman Latinovich did a fantastic job of just making sure that we got real games. He didn't give a crap about our record. He didn't care if we lost, we needed to get better and play uh, really good teams. That's the polar opposite of what we just did with this national team. We didn't play anybody guys. We played a bunch of CONCACAF teams. Uh, you would play like Martinique and, 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 you know, all these smaller teams and, and and we played Mexico a few times, Honduras a few times. I'm not, this is no disrespect to those guys, but we need to be playing the Belgians, the Romanias, uh, the Russias. We need to, we need to play against teams that, that can really test us. And uh, I thought Klinsman did a pretty good job of that. Right. I really do. Uh, but if you look at who we played guys, we didn't play anybody. 
anybody, Bosnia, uh, Herzegovina, and then maybe Morocco, but that Moroccan team was was a dud and Uruguay was was completely outplayed us. But um, I think that, that that's the greatest challenge. I, what I would really encourage the Federation to do, uh, and I have spoken to to some people on the inside there, is, is to, to not just discount the Olympics. The Olympics is an unbelievable opportunity to play against multiple styles of play and to establish a winning culture. We have the second or third youngest team in the, in the World Cup. We got guys like Musa who are still qualifying for the an under 23 tournament. Go win that tournament. Go put a medal around your neck. Change the perception of the way Americans think about uh, this team. The Copa America can be secondary. It, it really can. Uh, that's for, you know, we played it and we played it in 95. We did really well. We beat the likes of Argentina and Chile and everyone was, was astonished by that. Uh, but in the end, I, I just think that tournament beat us up more than it helped us. Uh, getting into real leagues in Europe um, and be, being in real competitions like the Champions League, Europa League, uh, and those are going to be the, the, the true tests for these guys to get better. Um, when we get to that stage, we have to have played real games and we have to have played in real tournaments where we have not just the gold cup and, and the nation stuff, because it doesn't, it's not good enough. Um, so that will be the challenge. It's a great question. And that's why maybe a high profile coach matters because he has the cachet to go in there and say, no, we, I need the money and I need to go play in these games, uh, finance these games because they're important because that's the way it works in the end. We got to, we got to get over there. We got to get in real environments and play against real opposition, not, you know, go from sleep to sprint You play, you play the CONCACAF teams over and over again. And then all of a sudden you stand next to, you know, Virgil van Dyke. It's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big change. One last thing on the men's national team, obviously the geo and bear halter situation was headline news. And obviously you were all over it. And I see the rain of Jersey behind you. So I'm guessing you're on his side. Um, we've heard everybody. We've heard both comments to both you know, the manager off record and then rain on his Instagram. The one thing that, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, the one thing that stood out to me is Gio said that his role was going to be limited coming into the World Cup. Why, why was that the case? Was it because he was injured and battling a bunch of injuries coming into it? That just never made sense to me. All right, here's the part that nobody wants to say. And, and I'm at a point in my life where I just don't <laughs> care because this is, this is my assessment of the situation. Berhalter is not about anything but control and manipulation. He, 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 he wanted people to behave. He didn't want to manage people. He wanted them to fall in line. Now, what we saw with Reyna uh, in, in the last games with Dortmund, he finally got a goal, and then his team actually pushed him to have the penalty kick, uh, which I thought was really cool to let a 19-year-old kid take a penalty kick in a major competition to try and get his confidence up because he was clearly beloved by his teammates. Sebastian Kiel came out and defended him, um, who is the uh, replacement for Michel Sork, who was there for a long time. Um, what happened here is this is just a really poorly managed scenario. The, the worst part about it is upon arrival, uh, Gio Reyna was told he's not going to play. How do you react to that? I mean, it, if you're a 19-year-old kid who has just worked so hard to get back uh, in, in, a, in a space where he really feels he can contribute to the team, and then upon arrival, you, you tell the kid you're not going to be in the team. And then you criticize him for acting up or sulking or, or, or not bringing the effort to practice. I don't know what Greg Berhalter expected from him in those three practices after he told him he wasn't going to play. It's, it, it, I mean, honestly, if you're a player and, and now you say, all right, well, I'm on the other team that's going to play against the starters and I really had high hopes to play 
and I'm, I'm not trying hard enough, uh, you can't really use that as a basis to, to, to bench a guy. The only problem I had is that he was uh, basically untruthful with the, the media saying uh, that he had experienced tightness and, and the reason why he didn't play is because of injury. That's unfair to a player, man. You, you, and you cannot do that. You cannot be untruthful with the media and then expect the player to go along with that, that narrative and then behave. So it was very, very mismanaged situation. It's just a shame because it's a shame because the kid is really talented. He really could have helped us. He is miles better than Jesus Ferreira. And if anybody doesn't see that, then they're just, they really don't understand football whatsoever. So uh, it's, it's a shame. Um, the irony here, guys, is that Claudio Reyna, his dad, had a very similar first World Cup. And that's, that's what's that's got me completely perplexed because uh, Claudio at that stage was 20 years old and he was clearly our best player. Uh, we would have been a far better team in 1994 if we would have had him on the field, but he pulled his hamstring uh, in the last practice before the game. He was a scheduled starter. So, uh, and he had to sit the entire World Cup out. So it's just, it's a family thing, man. It's a family curse. I don't know what it is, but uh, I think that the the, lo the logical thing now is to to get a manager who can who can manage and doesn't create situations like this. Don't you don't get the credit for putting out a fire that you started. You don't, especially if you've been untruthful about it. And and I guess the other irony in all this is he chose a uh, leadership symposium to share with the world uh, what bad leadership. That was off record though. Oh yeah, but it's off record. Oh, this is off. How, the how could that get yeah, out? Supposed, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of people who have uh, uh, not understood um, the difference between calling somebody a liar and pointing it out when they lie. <laughs> Those are two different things. Yep. Uh, just one more before we go. Um, obviously, Leo Messi, he wins his World Cup. Yeah. And, uh, He's got the Champions League with, P I mean, PSG's never won the Champions League. So maybe that's the next horizon for him. But as, so as soon as he lifted that trophy, everybody started talking about Inter Miami. I mean, even before he did. Maybe a year uh, ago. Yeah, yeah, this, it's true. This has been planned out. Um, what's But what's the vision for MLS? Is That's like, it's a general question here. Like, where is this league going? It feels like it's it's just expanding to, where were we going to be at 32 teams? soon yeah. and leo messi's going to be in on one of them like what wh what is the vision here um as you see it and is it the right one or are we going to kind of just look at like a saturated league that's going to become you know too big to fail well it, it's it's not it's an entertainment league guys it's not about um you know you don't, you don't have success on real merit there is no promotion or relegation um, as an owner, you can never really take a massive hit. I mean, it's a single entity. What people don't understand what a single entity franchise system is, is this is a kumbaya, we're all in this together. Right. If in, in the event that, that Messi would come to the, to the United States and play for Miami, everybody is under the assumption that Miami is signing him. No, that's not how this works. The league is signing him. He will have a contract with the league. That's why there's no... In, it, there's there's never a situation where Virgil van Dijk is playing at Southampton and and you, and Liverpool has to have him. They're going to spend 60 million. This league has been put together to prohibit that from ever happening. An inner competition between owners where they would make a bad decision and then they'd spend all their money on one player. If Messi comes, each one of the owners is going to chip in 10 to 20 million each. 
because it's going to benefit the entire league. And that's how that'll work. So when Beckham came over, it was the same story. They, 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 they basically had me on ESPN saying that it was a $250 million contract. When the numbers came out, he made 6.5 a year. He got all the rest of the money from Pepsi and, and, and all of the other big sponsors that made that deal happen. It's more of the same stuff. So what is the overall view of, or vision of, of the league? You know, it's, it's really interesting that the league would actually, with, with a straight face, say that they're a developmental league. When they actively gave over $120 million to Lampard, Girard, Beckham, Terry Henry, Pierlo, uh, Pierlo, and I, and there's there's like three more. <laughs> Wait, Wayne Tiger, uh, Via, came over Via. yeah. So it's it's it, the there now, sort of. Not that money should have been invested in young players. That, that and and we should be relying on 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 victories that 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 actually that actually factor into what a champion really looks like and and earning. Um, uh, your way through these things. They, they, they're valuable lessons that our, t- our players aren't, aren't getting um, through competition. So that's why I'm all about getting the guys to Europe. I think guys like Weston McKinney, when they find themselves in a Juventus uh, outfit and they realize how tough those practices are and how much those games mean to those fans, makes you better. It makes you sharper. Uh, and, you know, it, I will leave you with this. I mean, the biggest difference between America and over there, and I played over there, so I, I know, is you could lose a game let's say you lose the game for nothing and you'll come out of your locker room and you're on your way to your car in America. And there'd be some dad with two kids that says, Hey, can you sign for my kid? We're really big fans of yours. And you're nice. And you, you sign the autographs and you say, Hey, you know, keep going or say something nice. And you go to your car. If you're in Europe, you put your hood up. You don't want anybody to see you. And if some dad with two kids sees you, he goes, there he is. There's the guy that sucks. <laughs> That's the guy that would never be like that kid. <laughs> never. You, you hear me, son? No, that guy's terrible. He's a loser. And that's the way it is over there. Now, it's the same guy that if you win next week, 3 nothing, he's going to come back and apologize and say you're the greatest things. It's like <laughs> that is the pressure that you are under and the microscope that you are under over there that we don't have here. Awesome. One la- I say one last, last question. Does your, okay. former, cl- does your former club Bochum survive? Probably not. I, I'm just going to be honest. I, I did speak to uh, Ilya uh, a couple of times. Uh, Krenchik, he's, he's, he's pulling his hair out. And having to make the move to get away from uh, Rice was, was tough um, because he was, a, he was a really, I played with, with, with him. Uh, I knew where his heart was and he always had that, that knack of, of getting results when they really shouldn't have. But when they got pounded at home by Bayern, uh, you knew the writing was on the wall and the team was was uh, was just not in good form. So uh, it'll be really difficult, really difficult this year. They put themselves in a bad spot. But, I mean, I don't count them out, but it, I'm saying maybe not. But Falafel will always have a, a fighting spirit about them, and they, they will fight to the end. They, even if they're already relegated, they will still be kicking people in the last fixture. Awesome, Eric. Uh, we will be catching up with you uh, throughout the next couple of weeks. Talking Champions League, U.S. national team, maybe messy stuff as well. Uh, but we appreciate it, uh, as always. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. You know why, guys, last thing. You know why we know Messi's coming here? Because they actually had somebody logging his plane. And he has taken more trips to Miami 
another place. That plane's been to Miami so many times; it's got its own hangar. So that's amazing. Expect, expect uh, Lionel Messi International Airport. Yeah, that's something like that. And he do it on a rainy night in Chester. That'll be yeah. the, that'll <laughs> be the new thing. Yeah. Or Sunderland, or Stoke, either way. Yeah. All right, Eric, we appreciate it, man. You got it, guys. Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.